All right, welcome back to the QW podcast. This is 12, episode 12, and I've got rock legend Gavin with me today. <laughs> you want to introduce yourself? Tell us, tell us what you do and all that. Yeah, my name is uh, Gavin Verandis. I am going to be a sophomore at Boise State. Uh, I'm in Sigma Phi Epsilon. I'm in a band called Leeway. Uh, I play bass drum in the marching band, kind of do it all. That's my story. It was just hold this a, a tad closer to you. They're kind of yeah. they're real sensitive for some reason. Like if you hold it far, it sounds super echoey. Okay. Yeah, I haven't figured out why, but I'll figure it out. Dude, the <laughs> show last night was that was pretty sick. It was it was a really good show. It was our first show at um at an actual like venue, not just like a brewery or like some restaurant, and so it was a super big deal for us to kind of. Uh, hit it strong, and I felt like we did that. It was a really good show. Was that your first headline show? It was our first headline show. Would so. you say the name of the band was again? Just to... Leeway. Yeah, Leeway. Leeway was the name of our show, or name of our band, excuse me. How did you come up with that name? I actually joined the band in January, but the Leeway has been a band for, I want to say, two or three years. It was just gets a bit iffy with COVID and all that. So mm. I don't, I don't actually know how they came up with the name, but... We thought about changing the name when I joined, but honestly, I really like the name Leeway, so I was like, just stick with it. Short and sweet. Yeah. That's cool. So, when you joined the band in January of this year, just like a few months ago, that's crazy. Was it pretty much a click right away, or was there some kind of walls you had to break through? I'd say... I'd say a bit of both. So, Randy, the lead singer of Leeway, he's also in the marching band, and so I wouldn't say I met him, but I knew of him through the marching band, and he plays clarinet in the marching band. So, but when I saw him at the rehearsals, there was a bit of like, there's a bit of swag that comes with him. And when yeah. I saw him, I was like, that man looks like he does a little bit more than just play clarinet. So come <laughs> and find out a few months later, follow his Instagram, he plays music, and then I was at home on winter break, and then I just said, fuck it, I'm just going to send a text to him and say if he wants to jam. Like, yo, like, I play a drum set, too, if you want to jam. He's like, hell yeah, we're actually looking for a drummer. So we jam, I think, like, the third day I get back from, like, winter break. Mm. And everything pretty much just came off from there. That's cool. What happened to their drummer before, do you know? There was some, I think there was some uh, some drama with it. I don't know the whole story. Uh, they were, they went on tour over the summer and something happened. I, I don't want to quote anything because I don't know the whole story. Right. But I, from what I do know... It didn't end up on the best terms, but I mean, I mean, shit happens like that in the music industry, so you just kind of gotta live with it and move on. Brandy definitely has that swag. He's such a showman. Oh yeah, the show last night, man. He's so like, he really puts a lot of effort into engaging with the crowd, which is cool. Yeah, he he, that's one of his best aspects, in my opinion. He's an amazing guitar player and amazing singing singer, but in my opinion, what you need as a small band trying to make it in the scene so to say is you need that showmanship it's because yeah. it's not people don't go to a show just to listen to music they go to a show to watch you perform so having exactly. that front man who can provide that is very crucial to us so i'm very glad that he has that have you guys recorded at all there was an ep recorded last fall but i'm not on the on that ep because randy is also a drummer so the last drummer left, I think, in August. So that fall, he kind of took a hiatus a little bit. But 
he had these songs like he wanted to record, so he went into the studio and recorded them. And he um, he recorded everything on them, but I'm not on them, so we're kind of just waiting for the studio to release them. So hopefully we'll write okay. some more stuff and yeah. I can get on the on the studio. But, what you were saying about like the live show, people don't just come to see you play the music like they want to see some some flair that's so true dude because we went my dad and i went in shoot what year is it 23 we probably went in like 2017 2018 to see weezer oh yeah and they were so crisp and it sounded exactly like the recording oh yeah but then after like two or three songs i was like okay we're just gonna hear the recording yeah the thing, like, Weezer is an amazing band, and people give them shit, but, I mean, they make good music, and they're freaking millionaires, probably, most likely. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess, I mean, they made it work, but, again, in my opinion, you really need that, like, that showmanship to make people want to come back. And so, I saw, about a year ago, I saw, you know Silk Sonic? The, I don't, I've heard of them. I don't think I've ever purposely listened to them. So, it's, you know Bruno Mars, obviously, right? Yeah. yeah and you know An- Anderson Pack. Uh huh. Oh, so, you were yeah. telling me this. That's yeah. why I've heard of it. Yeah, they were. They made this like super like funk band. Yeah. And they recorded this album, and it was they um this old uh legendary like bassist back from the seventies, Bootsy Collins. You know him? Yeah, just from you, because then I tried it that because I dropped you off, <laughs> and then I tried it like after you got out of the car, and I was like, okay. Yeah. So Bootsy Collins produced this album made by. Um, Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars, and it's this like R and B funk soul, like seventies vibe fused with like hip hop from Anderson Pack today, and it was just it's an amazing thing. And so I actually had the chance to go see them about a year ago in Las Vegas, and it was exactly what you would want, like textbook what you want from showmanship, musicianship, anything you want in live performance. They hit it. it probably is my favorite live performance i've seen by far that's really cool because you can tell when you see people live like how much they like their own music and that was randy last night where i was like dude this guy really like poured his soul into the lyrics oh yeah that was cool man we had a good time yeah i'm glad i'm glad everyone had a good time it was yeah it was pretty neat that shredder is actually kind of cool too i had never been there before i actually had never been there either i knew i knew of it and i, mm-hmm. I tried to get myself there to some shows but just i couldn't get my, my, my excuse me make my schedule work but the moment i walked in the doors to like for load in um, earlier in the day i my eyes were just like wide open like wow this place is like sick like what you would see in a movie it was pretty cool. Yeah. The bar, the upstairs, mm-hmm. and the stage, and the fuck sign above the drum set. <laughs> so sick. Was and that your sign? That wasn't my sign. That was the venue sign. Oh, really? Yeah. No one else turned it on, but I went to, right before my band went on, I like went to the bartender because he controls the lights. I'm like, yo, like, what do I got to do to get you to turn on the fuck lights behind me during my set? He's like, oh, I got you, man. I'll turn it on. And so during my set, if you go and watch the videos... That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because it was up there the whole time, but it didn't come on until you guys were on, which was kind of cool because it made it feel more like you guys were the headliner. Yeah. I mean, you kind of got to take things in your own hand because they're, they were kind of short-staffed that night. And from, what I, from what, I, what, I, what I was told, there was a sound guy who was working upstairs who was kind of monitoring all the levels, but the, there was supposed to be a light guy that's working at the bartender, but they didn't have a light guy, so the bartender was kind of doubling and no one kind of gave 
no one kind of talked to the bartender and asked if he wanted to do anything. So the first three bands were kind of just doing it. The same lights the whole show. But I went yeah. up to the bartender and I was like, yo, like, let's make something happen. And he was like, hell yeah, let's do it. So during my set, the like, lights were changing. We got the fuck sign going. So just, all you got to do is just ask. Yeah, because, yeah, when you go to, I don't want to say real concert, because that's <laughs> kind of like, but you know what I'm saying. Like, if you go see a, yeah. a super big band play and the openers are all cool. Like, we saw, I went with my, my boy Griffin to... Uh, a Muse concert, do you know? Oh, who? yeah, I've seen Muse before. Okay, so we went and uh, 30 Seconds to Mars opened for them. Oh, that's a good band, so yeah, they were really good too. But it was like one band and they were pretty good, and then 30 Seconds to Mars is obviously really good. But just that feeling when the headline band comes on, oh, yeah, it's like separate. You're, you're there for them, like you're there for Muse. It's like, oh, shit, 30 Seconds to Mars, that's a good band, like I'll watch mm-hmm. them, but then like you bought. You bought the tickets for Muse, not for right. 30 Seconds on the Mars. So that feeling of being like, hell yeah, I'm about to go see Muse, that's, yeah, that's yeah, why you went. But there's something that happens, like when the headliner comes on. Like I've seen uh, 311 a whole bunch of times. Oh, yeah? I've seen them probably, shoot, three or four times. But like when bands like that come on, it's like a separate feeling from, oh, when, yeah. the, from when the openers come on. Most definitely. And, and you guys like, tapped into that a little bit last night which was cool it was like it wasn't quite the same level you know what i'm saying yeah i mean i think i think we were trying to aim for that because we ended up hauling a freaking piano and a cello for the intro. <laughs> that was such a cool intro though i didn't even know about it because i was i was home for the week before because i moved to boise on monday like five days before the show we had <laughs> rehearsal on tuesday wednesday we were off and then thursday we played the show and so Tuesday, Randy comes up. He's like, yeah, we're going to be doing this like, piano, cello thing. And then you're going to come out. And we're going to do the intro. And we're going to get to the song. And I'm like, dude, I just hit drums. Just tell me when to play. <laughs> tell me which ones to mash. <laughs> dude, gonna, like, that's what it was. We ended up having to rent a U-Haul and get it all there. It was, that was its own freaking crazy story. Oh, it? wow. I mean, it worked out well. Like I think, I think putting in that extra effort to make yourselves different from the other bands really makes a difference especially in the smaller aspect because it is really a dogfight because you really you really are fighting against other bands to get people to stay for your set compared to any other uh, other people's sets that is true because that's different from when people buy a ticket to go like that muse 30 seconds to mars one yeah people weren't really paying last night to see you guys in particular they're just kind of paying to see like the live music yeah they'd they'd come for the first band but then oh like I've been drinking and then I'm going to stay until later so I can sober up and they end up seeing us. And basically the goal of us is to get everybody to follow us on Instagram. Even though you came for the first band and we're the fourth band, you, we want the first band's people to follow us on Instagram. The more followers you get, the more people and connections you'll get. And so it's pretty much just goes from there. It's all about Instagram followers. How much of that do you think is like a role of... Do you think the bands that go on early care at all about getting people to stay for the next band? I'm not sure. I mean, I've been I've been in multiple positions. I've headlined multiple shows before with my other bands and I've been in the first I've been the first of five bands before and it's you really just got to own it. Like if you're the first band, you just got to you got to knock everyone's socks off and you got to be like we're here right now. Come watch us. And if you're the headlining band, like you're kind of, you're in the best spot, so to say, because everyone's there for you, but you're the last to play. It's late at night. 
Right. What I the adversity that I kind of faced last night, or at least my band did, is we were the last band to play, but it was we went on at nine forty five on a Thursday. I mean, it's a work day tomorrow, so people people started going home mid set. I mean, I can't blame them. Like it's a Thursday, so yeah, we have to do. I mean, everyone has to do a good job of making sure you hit like hit everyone in the first fifteen seconds. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was the same thing. Jacob and I went to uh, an open mic comedy show to see this guy Ben, who's also been on the podcast. But it was kind of kind of like that. Like at the end of the night, it was like further down the list of comedians, right? And everyone's kind of tired, and yeah. we've been watching comedy for an hour and a half, and it's it's a lot of work to keep people's focus and energy. Yeah, the, there's at least in my band, we kind of have. I don't know how to explain it. Like sometimes we'd actually prefer to be the opening band because right. let's say we're the third or fourth bands to go. The first and second bands, their fans are going to stay no matter what, just because they'll be there. Like talking to the band after the set, our fans will be there for the third set. But then the fourth band, the headlining band, their fans will be there during our set. So technically, or at least theoretically, you'll get a hundred percent of the, of the people there. But it's all theoretically because you really don't know what's going to happen. If people are going to leave, people aren't going to stay. Yeah. So yeah, it's that's all tough. It's almost reversed. Like when you're still like kind of getting getting going, yeah. it's almost backwards. Yeah, definitely is. That's crazy. That's a lot of pressure then. It, it is, but I mean, you just kind of got to deal with it. I mean, every band that made it, they had to go through this. So you kind of yeah. can't complain. You just got to put your head down and work and try and get out of it. Yeah. What do you think the the chemistry is like? Okay, actually, what I wanted to talk about was um, shit. Remind me your bassist name again. Bella. Bella. I wanted to say Maddie, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> Bella. She like obviously got more comfortable as the show went on, which oh, was yeah. really cool. Do you think there's a big difference kind of between how much the three of you like being on stage, or do you think? Do you know? Does I, that make sense? If you could rephrase the question. Um, is there is there one or two of the members on in your band that you feel like kind of enjoy the spotlight more than the others? Well, Randy, for sure. I mean, you could you could take fifteen seconds of any part of the show and you could tell like that's that's the front man right there. Right. That's just Randy's personality. That's just he was born. His dad played in bands back in the day. Like he was born to be a musician, and he's grown up watching rock bands. He's grown up doing this, so he's naturally just been inclined to that front man showmanship type of type of approach where Bella is also a phenomenal musician, but she kind of went through the orchestral shot. So she's played, she plays cello in the Boise state orchestra, but she didn't join our band till I want to say February or March. Oh, so she was after you. Yeah. She was okay. after me. So she's, she's learning, but like it, it, there's obviously a learning curve to the showmanship because Definitely. it is, it's hard to get up on a stage in front of freaking 40, 50 people and be like, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. I'm going to like do what I do. Like that's tough yeah. for me. I kind of have an escape cause I'm behind a bunch of drums. Like you can like rarely see me and behind Bella and Randy. Too. Yeah. Yeah. too. That too. But like it's, it's an approach. I don't know how my showmanship would be if I wasn't behind a drum set. If I was playing guitar or bass, like I don't know if I would be that open or that comfortable on stage, but it's she, definitely a learning curve. Yeah, she was really good though. She she killed it. It just kind of like took her a minute to get really comfortable, but once she did, it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, 
once you get past that like first or second song, like the the nerves kind of get gone and you're just filled with adrenaline. You're just, you're honestly, you're high on adrenaline. You just like, you're thinking you're on top of the world and you can do anything. And I think that's what happens to all of us. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you get that right away? So I don't know. I don't want to be cocky here, but for some reason I've just never had stage fright because I've been performing music my whole life. Like third grade, I played a drum solo at the talent show and I, I just remember just, not giving two fucks in the world about what people thought. I just went up there, played my shit, and then got off. And then I played another talent show in seventh grade. Same thing. Didn't care. Just put my head down to work. And then through high school, just I just never had that those nerves. Like, I'll be nervous before, but, like, when I sit down on my drum set, I'm the most comfortable. Yeah. So the moment I sit down and I have people watching me, like, I, the adrenaline fills in and it's kind of comforting. And so I know that I can kind of just do my thing. It's the same thing when I go to like a baseball game, when I go to play. Yeah. It's like nervous in the car, nervous on the walk to the field. And once then you, like, once you step on the dirt, you're like, you're, yeah, you're, you're in it. You just got to go. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's crazy that it was like that natural too. So your family is kind of like a music family, right? My, my dad is the only one that actually plays music. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I think my grandma used to sing a little bit, but I'm not sure. But my dad... He plays a ton of different instruments, right? Yeah, my dad plays uh, bass, guitar, and drums. Um, yeah. So how'd you settle on drums? Well, he had a drum set set up um, growing up. And then before I got my first like baby kit drum set, I would kind of just hop on, hop on his and not even play anything. I would just hit things and see what sounds they made and then he kind of realized i think what happened i think the story goes he bought my older brother um like the first like like a baby kit like 50 dollar like toy drum set but then he never played it because my brother's like he went on to like be like culinary and foodie degree that's the other side of my family but then i ended up doing like i think it was a birthday present i ended up using his birthday present of the toy drum set like way more than him and so i ended up just investing all of my time in the music that's funny. That's the way it goes with brothers. Yeah. If yeah, so if you're you, use it all, use it all. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Whatever is laying around. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, well, he was obviously like really comfortable helping you out and stuff on stage. Are you more comfortable when you know he's in the crowd? That was honestly, I think it was the second or third show that he's ever been to throughout my whole musical career. Oh wow! But he knew like exactly what to help with and like what adjustments to make and stuff, even on the fly. I think he saw that I was super dehydrated and like I freaking like wasted all my water. <laughs> Dumping it on your head. Dude, Dude it was, was like so 85 degrees in there. It was so hot. It was so hot and I was like sweating so much like just after the second song and like my water was already gone. I think he realized that. So he like went and grabbed me some water and then filled up my water bottle. So that was super clutch. I didn't have to tell him. We didn't even talk about it before. He kind of just sensed that pretty much. Yeah. I thought he like adjusted a microphone or something. I don't know if he did. Be, that's what it looked like but he, he might have I, I might have missed that too yeah but i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he did because he kind of just has that sense so how does it feel when people like like him or your fraternity brothers are there just to see you it it makes me feel good that like people like support me like it's it's really good because every every single person there matters right now like because mm-hmm. you need every single person there because the photos you take and then you post and then some music uh, promoter or some record label can come stumble across your Instagram page 
and they your music could be amazing, but if you only pull out five ten people per show, then they're not going to want to mess with you because everything's um, everything's revolved around marketing promoting. So yeah, the more people provide more uh, better photos. Better photos provide more likes. More likes provide more follows. More follows provide more incentive for labels to like you. And so that's pretty much the game. Have you had any part in the marketing aspect at all? I have, yeah. I've, I've pretty much, I've been running the Instagram page, I want to say like a few weeks after I joined the band. And I've just been trying to do my best. Like I'm a business administration major. I'm not really a marketing major, but I'm just kind of like, I'll watch YouTube videos, trying to see what I can implement and just try and get followers. That's, that's pretty much it. It's been tough on the, that's tough because it's similar to the podcast in that it's like ridiculously competitive. Oh, yeah. Anything, anything like, I want to say every industry in the world, it's not really, I want to say like 60% how you perform, like how the quality of your product or service, but the other 40% is the marketing. Mm -hmm. Like this podcast, like it's an amazing podcast. It could be better than Joe Rogan's, but if you can't market it, like it's not going to go anywhere. It's the same with, if you're the best baseball player in the world, but you don't know how to talk to someone how are you going to get a scout to like you yeah it's the same thing yeah the reverse is true though too because the i don't know if you know who jocko wilnick is or willink shoot now i'm kind of blanking on willick (laughs) or wilnick but um his podcast is like one of my biggest inspirations or my biggest influences Mm -hmm. and his at the beginning dude the audio quality was so bad but he was able to he was boys with rogan so he's able to go on rogan and he's getting like millions of downloads even though his audio and his production suck yeah it's all about who you know it's all about the connections yeah what kind of um who are some bands or musicians that inspire you guys me personally my biggest inspiration has been dave Grohl, the uh drummer from nirvana and then oh, the man. man for Foo fighters he's just he's just the best in my opinion like there's no one better than him his not to say like character development because it's real life, but that's what it is. It's been unreal. Like when he was in Nirvana, I watched an interview with, um, I think it was all of them, but it was definitely him and Kurt where he was like super uncomfortable talking yeah. on the camera. And now he's like this, like he's so comfortable with it and he'll go interview with anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, because I think he was, I think he was like twenty one or twenty two when he moved from the East Coast of Seattle to join Nirvana. So I mean, that's a big step to kind of like lose. Because he was in a, he was in a pretty successful underground band in like, um, I forget where he was from, but he was from somewhere on the East Coast. He was like pretty much doing well for himself as a musician, but he said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna go join this this band called Nirvana in Seattle." And so I, I really, I'm not surprised that he was uncomfortable. Because imagine dropping everything and moving across the country to pursue it. Like, you'd be nervous. But, I mean, he's grown into, like, probably one of the best musicians in the world that we've never known. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's unreal. Yeah. So talented on a lot of different instruments. Yeah. Have you ever um, have you ever heard of his his song he made called Play? Maybe. Is that the one where he plays all the instruments? Yeah. Yeah, like okay. It's a 26-minute uh, long instrumental yeah. where he does every instrument. And it yeah, is, it pretty much cemented himself as the best musician alive. Like, in my opinion, like there's, you can't outdo that. He's pretty like probably the most well-rounded. Oh yeah, 
And one thing that I noticed when I was watching it is as as the drummer, because you can kind of, if you watch the video, you can kind of see different um, different versions of himself playing different instruments. And every single, if he's playing guitar, bass, piano, auxiliary, they're always wearing headphones so he can hear with the metronome. But when he's playing drum set, there's no there's no headphones. So that means he memorized the whole 26-minute-long <laughs> instrumental song that he wrote. He is his own metronome. In one, in one take, in perfect tempo. That is the most impressive thing that a musician can do, in my opinion. And he just nailed it. That makes sense, yeah. Jack White's kind of the same. I don't know if you listen to a lot of Jack White, but... Jack he's, White's phenomenal, too. He's pretty well-rounded, too. Yeah, guitar, drums... Uh, I guess technically bass. I don't think he plays an actual bass guitar, but he octaves down on the regular guitar. Yeah. And then piano. and. Mm-hmm. I watched this documentary. I forget the name of it. I watched it with my parents back in the day. And it was, they were pretty much revolving around three guitarists. The Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. I think it was Jimmy Page. Dude, I have that on DVD right now. Oh, that's super cool. Is it, it might get loud. I don't, it was with, uh, and then the U2. Yep, and then, the ads. Yeah, yeah, the Jack White. And remember, they were talking about U2, and he's like, oh, yeah, I need every every single pedal to make sure my sound's all correct. Yeah. And then Jack White's, like, literally, I was at opening, he's, like, making guitar out of, like, like a freaking glass bottle. Exactly, and man. string. Yeah. And, like, they're both, the U2 guitarist is a phenomenal musician, as well as Jack White, but it just goes to show, like, everyone has their thing. You gotta get that movie, or I'll show you on DVD, because it has uh, like extra scenes where, let's see, the Jimmy Page is showing the other guys how to play. Um, shoot, what's the Led Zeppelin song that's like an anthem? Is it a uh, Fool in the Rain? No. Why can I not think of this? Anyway, there's um... Jimmy Page shows them how to play. Doom, 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 doom. Is it that one? No. Now I'm kind of blanking on the <laughs> rhythm. I was going to sing it for you. Now I can't even remember it. But then Jack White shows the other two guys how to play Seven Nation Army. And then you two, uh, the Ed shows the other guys. So they all like take turns showing each other how to play their most popular guitar riff. Hmm. That was pretty cool. Yeah, because even then, like those are both, all three of those are world-class musicians and they still have stuff to learn. So yeah, pretty much always learning. But it was, you were right, it is really funny that The Edge is all about like this, not to call it a fake sound, but like this kind of uh, manufactured guitar sound. Oh, and yeah. Jack White's like, give me a string, give, give me a, a glass and... slide. <laughs> and he's like playing amongst the cows. <laughs> <laughs> For real. But that was the one of the other cutscenes was him playing... Um, Dude, I'm blanking on all the freaking names right now. It's so bad. Led Zeppelin made so many like good songs. It's so it's so hard to just remember all of them. It was shoot. I tried to look it up on Spotify, but it's not in their top five song plays. <laughs> but then Jack White was playing. Um... Oh my god, this is freaking embarrassing. I've got it on a playlist though. Give me a second. This is awkward. <laughs> I fought Piranhas. He played it on, like, this old 60s K guitar. Really? And you can hear, like, the cows mooing in the back. It's really cool. <laughs> it's, like, this the most Jack White thing you could possibly That's imagine. Funny. He's pretty incredible. 
Is he? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Do you try to do? Because th- he's kind of like a minimalist, and then the edge is like the extreme opposite. Mm-hmm. So where do you think your band lies? I'd say if one is like the bare minimum, like Jack White making a milk carton, and then ten is like you two taking like the every single thing. I'd say we're about a six in the middle, but I mean, I feel like we use, we take advantage of the technology that music has come to, like different effects and different sounds, different distortions we can use. But I mean, honestly, I don't really know how much to say because I just play drums and they, yeah, guitar and bass, they kind of do their own thing and I just, I just play drums. <laughs> it was cashmere. Oh, cashmere. Yeah. Yeah. That thing that you guys did at the end of the show with like, you and like two sets of drums was oh, really yeah. cool. Yeah, we got that idea from this other local band that's amazing called Crush the Monster, and they actually have two full drummers in their band. So every show, that's what I was thinking last night when I was watching you guys. I was like, man, why doesn't a band just have two drummers? They do this. This band, they this band called Crush the Monster. They have two full drummers every show. They're playing with two drum sets. It is crazy. I've never seen them live, but I've seen pictures, I've seen videos, and I think the drummer, the first band that played was Cale Brown, and he's actually a guitarist for uh, Crush the Monster, and the drummer that he was playing with was one of the drummers for Crush the Monster, and so I went up to him, and I was like, I wanted to see him so bad, but I, I don't know when their next shows are, so I kind of just got to follow their Instagram. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Yeah. That was super sick, though. Did they also sync up like you guys did or do they play like two different parts i'm not sure i i would imagine they would play the same parts because because if you if you were to play different things it would just it would just sound too hectic yeah but that's true i don't know i don't know not off. No randy off. was going hard dude he broke the freaking I, I, stool <laughs> He was just sitting, I remember watching a video on my phone. He was just playing, and then it just it just fell. He was rocking so hard. That was cool. And then uh, he just switched to the piano one. The piano stand, yeah. Yeah, it's, those things are more durable than the, the little guitar. Yeah, gear was not our friend last night at all. We were facing so many problems. We were just It was not our night. The music was good, though. That's what people are there to see. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to, we were able to make it out with people having smiles on their face but before the show leading pretty much leading up to our set we were just always kind of trying to figure out some sort of problem it was it was a bummer but i mean you kind of got to deal with it, it happens to everybody yeah do you ever bust through a drum yeah i actually did on on tuesday during our rehearsal oh really yeah there during the one practice we had before the show like 30 minutes in and my freaking bass drum head breaks oh dang and so it was just it was it was not fun. <laughs> How'd you get a new one? I borrowed Randy's. Oh. So yeah, I added up. Randy was nice enough to lend me his, so I'm kind of using that as a borrowing that right now. So when I go back home, I'll be able to take my, an extra one I have down there. Go from there, but. So when you guys dueled the drums last night, did he also he used the same bass drum that you were using, right? Yeah. I always thought that they were like different materials. It is on each side. It's the same. It's the same material. I okay. think it's it's both. I want to say plastic, but I could be wrong. Whatever they put on there. Whatever they put on there. I don't know. I don't know drum manufacturing's. Yeah. To the, to Who the cares? Niche, but 
That's crazy, though. I always thought that they were different, and then he put the the pedal on the other side. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know. I thought for some reason that that side was thinner, but it's not. It might be a little thinner because it's technically called the resonant side, so the sound bounces out of that. Yeah. If you look at it, there's a hole in in that side, and so you'll put a bass drum, you'll put a microphone inside it to kind of get the most oomph as you can. Okay. But, I mean, you could put, you could hit it as well, but the other side, the batter side, is like, I think it's like three layers of plastic, and so it makes it more durable, and that's the batter side where you're supposed to hit, but I mean, it's a drum, you can freaking hit it with anything. Yeah. What do you think, um, trying to figure out how to ask this, but what do you think the other people in your band can do to help you feel more comfortable on stage? Like, do you ever feel like you guys are kind of playing and they almost, like, even in rehearsal, they're kind of, like, judging you or putting pressure on you? I don't think so. I mean, obviously, there's, you'll fuck up sometimes because, like, no one's perfect and you'll, like, miss a spot and subconsciously think, like, oh, God, they're going to hate me now. But, I mean, you kind of just, like, roll with the punches and then after the song, like, everyone's good because they'll mess up too and then it's so small they like, they'll notice it, but I won't notice it because I don't play guitar as much as Randy does. Or mm. I don't play bass as much as Bella does, and so I like I honestly don't even notice like when they mess up. So, oh, that's so I think yeah, I think the stress in the in the thought of them like getting mad at me or like all of that, I think it's naturally happened. But I don't really think think that's a problem in the band. I feel like drums is tough because it's like if you're if you're good at your job, kind of people don't notice. But if you suck, people notice right away. <laughs> that is yeah, that's. <laughs> Yeah, because there's there's like this every like big band or big name like Taylor Swift has a band that's touring with her, but you don't you don't ever you don't ever think, oh man that drummer's doing really good right like you're just you're like oh shit it's Taylor Swift, but then if the drummer's off beat you're like this guy fucking sucks. Like, how the hell did he get a job with Taylor Swift like <laughs> yeah there's, there's no way you can win in that but I mean like there's in that position like you know. Like, if I was a touring drummer for Taylor Swift, I know exactly what I'm supposed to play because it's not my band. It's Taylor Swift. I'm yeah. paid six figures to not do fills and just play, like, the same stuff every song. And Basically I'm paid a six drum figures, track. And I was like, okay, deal. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Would you ever do something like that, do you think? Like, if someone offered you, hey, I'll give you $100,000 to come tour with me, but you don't get any of the creative aspect at all? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Because... Let's say the stars aligned and like Taylor Swift was like, "Yo, Gavin, I need you to like tour with me right now." If if Taylor Swift said, "Yo, Gavin, I need you," I think you would probably pass out. <laughs> I think I would. But but basically, like I do this tour for probably a year. I think that's how long her tour would be, and I get so much exposure to the professional music industry and like how they go through that these amazing musicians because the thing that the drummer goes with is the same with the guitar and the bass and the piano. They are A++ musicians, but they're just holding back because of the paycheck. But I could still talk with them and then whenever you're not playing, you can jam with them and God knows what those jams... It's a good point. Yeah, you can learn so much. You can get to talk to people. You can make connections and after that year, you get $100,000 from touring with Taylor Swift, hypothetically, and you get this knowledge... And you get these connections that can, can pretty much rocket boost you to the next 
step in your music career. So most definitely in a heartbeat. What is your relationship like with the other bands like backstage? Because you were just saying that like you would you would try to jam with Taylor Swift's other musicians or whatever. So is, or do you have you found that other musicians are pretty helpful and they're willing to give tips? Oh yeah. Um, last night, I mean, everyone was kind of. I think last night wasn't really the best example, but in the past, you'll definitely. It's not much. It's not as much as me. Like telling you, oh, you should do this, this, this instead of this, this, this. It's me watching him or watching them do, like, play their set and be like, oh, shit, he does that. I should like, try and implement that. And the next time I sit down and try and play drums, I should like, okay, I should try and work this out and try and work this fill like the way he did it. And that kind of does it. And then obviously there are some tips that they will do it, but I feel like it's more of the unspoken stuff. Okay. And people are pretty cool with it, you yeah. think? Yeah, I mean, because music isn't supposed to be a, like a gatekeeping thing. It's supposed yeah. to be an art where like everyone should be able to enjoy it. That's what I thought too, but I just had Carter on the last podcast, and he was saying that it's not really like that like with other rappers. Yeah, rap is a whole different animal. I don't really, I'm not really that, I'm not really into the whole, I'm not in the whole rap scene, so I, it's hard to speak in how like rappers kind of handle other rappers and whether they're respectful or like dicks or all that. So that makes sense. You ever, I don't know what kind of genres you want to get into, but would you ever play like a drum track for a rapper? I think I would. Yeah. Do you know the rapper Corday? I don't think so. He's a little smaller, but I saw him in Sacramento with my best friend, I think last March. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't really like rap, so, but I'll go cause it's my best friend's birthday and he got tickets. So I'll just go. And, like, to my surprise, he, like, actually, it wasn't just, like, a backing track. It was, like, a full drummer and a guitarist and a pianist. Oh, that's cool. And so I was like, oh, shit, I keep, like, what I to do. And so, obviously, it was the same thing with, like, Taylor Swift thing we were talking about. Like, he was holding back the whole time. He's just playing the drum tracks. But the last, like, right before the last song, they kind of extended it, like, extended the bridge. And, like, the musicians just went off. And they were doing the sick-ass jam for, like, a minute and a half. And I was, like holy shit, this guy's good. Because I'm standing there, like, my ego's inflated, and I'm like, oh, dude, I could do that. I could play all that shit. Yeah. And then he, like, kind of, like, let loose, and I was like, holy fuck, I can't do that. That man is good. <laughs> That's really cool, though. Because you can, people can tell in the crowd, like, if the, when you pump in sound, or when you, when you kind of play the same show every night, people can tell in the crowd. Yeah, most definitely. That'd be pretty neat. Honestly, because, yeah, I watched this. Um, I don't know if you know who DMX is. I don't know how much into old school hip hop you are. This dude was huge in the 90s, right? And he did this show in, I think it was in Philadelphia. And he, I don't know, just when people actually go on stage and play their stuff and it's not auto-tuned and it's not pumped in, yeah, people enjoy it so much more. Yeah, I don't know where people got the idea where it's like, Hey, if we go up here and all of our shit's fake, people are going to love it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, a lot of hip-hop today, not Corday. When I saw Corday, another thing that I really respected is that he didn't use, like, backing tracks. Like, when I see, when I go on TikTok and I'll see, like, like this video of a live show by whatever rapper today, it's literally just him singing along to his song. Like, yeah. If you were just going to play a song off of Spotify and sing along to it, that's what he's doing. Yep. And I'm like, you're not even, like, you're not even trying. 
Yeah, it's not really even a concert. It's just people hanging out enjoying your music. Yeah, and like you're not even like you're not even like singing all of it. You're kind of like stopping and like, oh, you sing it, and then and like, but like you could hear like the vocals coming from the studio track, and you're like, yep. what the hell? What did I, what did I pay for? Like, I didn't yeah. pay to hear your music through loud ass speakers. I paid to hear you play play it live. And people that really pay attention notice like immediately. Yeah. And then it's like a huge turnoff. It kind of ruins the whole thing. Yeah, because we saw this band. Uh, they were big for a minute, but I haven't I haven't even heard from them in a while. Honestly, they're called New Politics. I don't think I've heard of them. They had they had a couple nice radio hits, but we saw them open for Three Eleven. Oh yeah. And it was like, man, these guys are really cool. And then I went to their show at this this place called the ready room and it was like the standing room was basically the size of the shredder but without the without the second floor uh-huh and then the stage was like expanded but on the long side does that make sense so like you extend back or forward like people would have been facing one of the side walls and then the stage is beyond that oh okay so instead of like rectangle where you're facing the narrow side it's like you're facing the wide side but anyway when we went to their show and they were the headline band it was like they pumped in all this sound and it was not nearly as cool yeah i mean some bands and some musicians like they you need you need like the backing tracks to like kind of because you'll put stuff you'll be like working on a song in the studio and then you'll you'll come across this uh this like sound. I was like, damn, that like sounds really cool. If I put it in here, but then you like, there's no like way to like put that in. Like, say it's like samples. That's the word I was looking for. You'll get this sample, and it's like, oh, that's super sick. And you put it in your song, but then when you're playing live, like, there's no way you're gonna be like play the sample. So you need the backing track sometimes, but especially with a three person band. Oh yeah, a three person band. We need we need that. And so when we have that, if you listen closely, we'll have like a like a. I don't want to say, I don't want to call it a bass, but it was like a backing track of just like the core, the core chords. Okay. So kind of help us, give us more of a, of a fuller sound, like more in-depth sound. I did notice that like at times it seemed like when Randy was playing guitar, it didn't exactly match like the sound of the guitar. Yeah. Honest to God, dude, I, like I could hear Bella last night. But most of the time when I go see concerts, I can't hear the bass guitar at all. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to notice that so much. But with you guys, it didn't really take away from like the creativity and like the improv and everything. Where I feel like like that new politics we went and it was like like this isn't really even them playing it live. Yeah, I mean it'll kinda of go back to the point of like how much do you love your music? Are you doing it for the music or are you doing it for the money? Yeah. Like because New Politics, that might be an amazing band, but it's like, oh, another show. You just got to go. I'm just going to go play out, play notes, and then get off. But, like, if you really love the music, then you really love the art of performing, then you'll really make, like, you'll really make a, a point to, like, perform and show, not just play. Yeah. Because, Be- yeah, Bella was, like, real confident, especially towards the end. And Randy was pretty much, like, he would improv a lot and play solos and stuff. And yeah. Obviously, I mean, you probably don't need much of a track, right? Yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a metronome in my ear, but yeah. there was really no other than that. There was no tracks in my. In yeah. My so you guys ear. were pretty good at like. Obviously, you need it with three people, and to play live. Yeah. With energy is kind of like impossible, but. 
I didn't feel like it took away from your show at all. Yeah, I feel like it didn't. I feel like we did a good job of making sure because as a three piece, it's really hard to to make that full of a sound. Like Muse is a really good example of like the correct way of doing it. Like if if you show if you showed a song by Muse to somebody and you ask them like, "Oh, how many people do you think they're band?" They'll be like, "Oh, like four or five. Like there's definitely two guitarists, a bassist, drummer, maybe a piano player." But then actually there's like three people, which is a guitarist, guitar singer, a bassist and a drummer. Yeah. And like the Muse does an amazing job of like really fulfilling their sound. Dude, when we saw them live, uh, Bellamy, wait, shoot. Now I can't actually remember if it was Matt Bellamy or their guitarist, but I think it might've actually been the guitarist, but he had like this, like an electronic guitar. I don't even know how to describe it. It didn't have tuners. It didn't, I don't think it even had strings. It was like, was was it a piano? No, it was like a. It was shaped like a guitar, but the fretboard was just buttons, and then the bottom instead of the body, it just had like a, like an iPad screen, and huh. then depending on how and where he touched it and everything, it made different. That's weird. Completely different sounds. Like he could, he'd hold down all four corners, and then he could get like all the different pedal effects. It was crazy, that is man. Crazy, yeah. It was He's really cool. Out of this world. They were really good. Yeah, I, I saw them live, I think, let's say, 2019. Okay. Whenever they toured for their simulation theory. Dude, I had I that poster album. in my room forever. That album was so sick. I, I have a flag of that in my room back home. Really? Yeah. That's it was, awesome. It was an amazing show. We were able to, my dad's best friend. So we saw him in Oakland at um, the old Warriors Arena. I forget the name of it. but my Oracle. Oracle Arena, yeah. Yeah. But for some reason, my dad's best friend was able to get, like, sweet tickets because of his company. And so for my dad's birthday, my dad's best friend gave him these tickets to the Muse. So me, my best friend, you met Miles, you met Miles, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was me, Miles, my dad, and my mom, we went and saw Muse. And it's a completely different show when you're up there in the suite compared to, like, you're in, like, the mosh or, like, right yeah. there. But I, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, seeing, like the performance back far because with Muse it's not just an intimate performance to the crowd it's like you have this whole production behind you right so they're really cool. so good at that like the all their album covers are they're different but also the same and so beautiful oh, and yeah. they're so good at like the lights and every just making it so aesthetically pleasing oh yeah yeah they did a really good job freaking phenomenal band we had um Man, we must have been... So we saw him at this... It used to be called a Hollywood Casino Amphitheater in St. Louis, but I think it's called something different now. But they have, like, the pit is in the front, yeah, and it's all outdoor. And then they have, like, seats for a while, and then it's standing room, like, up this grass hill. Uh-huh. But uh, my dad's friend... I think I should probably admit names because I'm not sure he was allowed to do this. But he used to get tickets through his job where he was like, oh, yeah, I'm taking clients to this show. So they'd be sick tickets and then he'd take us or give us the tickets or whatever. But it was really it was like we were first or second row in the That's in this cool. in the seat room. So we actually had spots, but it was really cool. I mean, to be honest, like like everyone probably does that. If you're if you're like oh yeah, if you're in sales and, and you're, you're not you're giving the top your voice. dog in some business, like come on, 
It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just some business, but it's all good. <laughs> They're a pretty big deal. But, um, yeah, he was, Muse was really good. We saw 311 there. I saw my first concert ever there. Uh, do you know who Cake is? Yeah, they're actually from Sacramento, where I'm from. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That was my first concert was Cake was like the, I think they were third to last in this um, this music festival that a radio show put on in St. Louis. That's cool. They were really awesome. That was like the first band I ever remember seeing live. Yeah, Cake is a very underrated band. Like a lot of people forget about them, but their bassist yeah. is freaking off the hook dude. He's, he's really good i remember because all because my dad plays plays bass honestly more than drums so i kind of like follow his footsteps because i can't really play drums at 11 o'clock at night on a tuesday but i'll be like wanting to do something so i'll just go into his office and then pick up the bass i tried learning some cake songs because like oh shit going to like the distance by cake's a cool yeah. song i'll learn that and i was like wow this is i can't play this this is really hard so he's he's a really good bassist that whole album, Fashion Nugget, was incredible. Yeah, he's really good. It was a really good album. I wouldn't skip a single song on that one. That yeah, was cool. I gotta listen back to that. But when we were seeing him live, and the, the singer, I don't actually know his name, but he hit that little thing, the yeah. little percussion thing. They, they do so an amazing cool. job of using like just like like um, concert percussion in their, in their songs. Yeah. Like, just like the most random that. things you could yeah. think of. But it works. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, they're... They're like almost like Weezer, where none of them. Obviously, the bassist is pretty talented, uh-huh. but none of them seem like overly talented and yeah, incredible musicians. Like, like their singer, like it kind of just like he doesn't really sing; he kind of just like talks. Yeah, he's not that good, but it works perfectly. Dude, I mean, they figured it out. I mean, they they made it. So yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they did real good. I'm trying yeah. to think of. Uh, oh, we saw Twenty One Pilots like three times. I wish I saw Twenty One Pilots before they blew up. We saw, oh, dude, my parents went before Blurry Face, like, stressed out and riding all those songs. That's the perfect so, time to see them. Yeah, right, right when Vessel was, like, coming out, uh-huh. they went to Columbus, where they're from, and saw them back-to-back nights. Really? And I, I had no idea who they were, right? And they came back, and they were like, this is the coolest band we've ever seen live. And I'm like, so shut up. Crazy. I don't even know who these guys are. And then, like, three years later, you're like, god damn it. Yeah, so they played... Um, the regionals at best version of car radio for uh-huh. us at, in the kitchen at dinner one night. And I was like, okay, these guys are pretty good. And then Vessel came out. And then uh, me and my friend AJ dressed as Tyler and Josh for Halloween. That's super cool. Right when Blurry Face came out, because they played Halloween night and we went to the show. And everyone at school was like, who are you guys? Like, we've never heard of them. That was October for Halloween. And then by December for basketball, Stressed Out was on our warm-up playlist. <laughs> they blew up so fast. I know. They, it happens quick. Yeah. They're a freaking amazing band. Josh Dunn, the, the drummer, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy drummer. He plays the drums hard, dude. He freaking oh, yeah. crushes those things. Yeah, he's really good. I honestly used to like... I used to not really think that fondly of him. I don't know why. I just, like, I listened to the studio stuff, and I was like, ah, it just sounds like a drum machine. And I watched some live videos, and I was like, wow, this, is, this guy's fucking really good at drums. He and has, he has really like, good. his own drum stool and everything. Have you seen that? I don't think I have. He's got, like, his custom stools that are spring-loaded so he can bounce more while he's huh. drumming. Yeah, and then if you, if they'll, when they play shows, he'll, like, 
get a condensed drum set on the crowd till he stage he'll stage dive mm-hmm. when playing drums is crazy. Yeah, wild. That's probably on my bucket list as a drummer is to do that. That'll be cool. That would be cool. Cause yeah, you guys already do that where you both play drums. They do that too. Yeah. So they they close every show with a song called Trees. Uh huh. And they both bring out uh it's a I think it's a bass drum. I thought maybe Josh has another drum or two, but maybe not. But they both bring on a bass drum and they both play the bass drum of the song. And then, yeah, it's it's really cool. But you guys already do that kind of synced up. So, yeah, we kind of figured it out. That'll, that'll <laughs> be in the future. Is you guys playing drums out on the crowd? Yeah, hope so. That's what's the plan. What are some of the coolest bands you've seen live? Dude, it's, it's hard to pick one. I've Muse was unreal. Not Muse gonna lie. was freaking really good. Yeah. Silk Sonic's hard to. Silk Sonic's really cool. But Hot Chili Peppers was... I saw them at, in Las Vegas at um, Allegiant Stadium, mm-hmm. the Raider Stadium. And, like, a lot of those bigger, like, shows, and the stadium shows, it's hard to, like, keep that sound, like, going throughout the... Like, so if you're in the nosebleeds up top, it's like, you're not really, like, that good. But Red Hot Chili Peppers did an amazing job of, like, making sure the show was delivered to everybody, just not the first, like like 1500 people in the in the um in the mosh. Oh. So that was a really good band. They're really good, but it's I kind of feel like their singer kills it. Like their guitar, the riff on the guitar is always really cool. Yeah, I've I've, I've had a lot um, a couple people like say like say to me that like Red Hot Chili Peppers is this like the singer like is the only thing that turns them off. Yeah. And so I kind of get that, but I mean, as a drummer, I kind of like more focus on the drums than That's I am fair. like the singer. But yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers is amazing. You know Royal Blood? You heard of them? Who? Royal Blood. Oh yeah, they're really good. Yeah, I saw them live last May too. Oh nice, that'd yeah. be awesome. That was that was an insane show. I was standing. I was in like the perfect. I was in the perfect spot to see them. It was general admission, but I was right next. The way this venue was set up, I was on like the right side, but I wasn't against a wall. There was like a there was like a five foot wide like emergency like hallway type of thing oh, like right yeah. next to me mm-hmm. and so like no one was allowed to stand there so i'm just standing against that railing just watching i'm probably like 20 feet away from the stage amazing and so i'm like watching the drummer and then they like did a thing where like it was an extended extended uh break where like the bass was just going off so the drummer didn't have to do anything he got up went down came up right next to me climbed up on the railing that i was next to and he like I helped him up, climb up the railing, and he stage dived off of me into the middle of the crowd. That's awesome. And it didn't even hit me. My dad's sitting next to me, and my dad's standing next to me. And he is holy fuck. That is so awesome. There's a video of <laughs> somewhere because after after he went off, I pulled out my phone, and he's like ten feet away from me on my left, like kind of just like going. I take a video of him, and you could hear my dad in the back. I'm like, holy fuck, that was awesome. <laughs> it was crazy. So that was an amazing show. Royal Blood would be awesome. Oh, Royal Blood is amazing. I want to go see them again. That's cool. And you know Cleopatra? Yeah. They open for them. No way. Yeah, that, so. No disrespect, but that feels like it should be the opposite. No. That feels like it should be They're flipped. Cleopatra is an amazing band, but they're just small. Definitely. They, they got to they gotta make their... They gotta make their their stand because they're from I think Toronto. Oh, I thought you were saying Royal Blood opened. No, no, no. Cleo oh, Patrick okay, okay. Blood. That makes more sense. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that yeah. kind of feels backwards. That would be that would be way backwards. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, Cleopatra was was an amazing opener for them. Who else did I see? I saw Deftones, but that wasn't really a good show. Sadly, it wasn't it was not a good show. God, um, yeah, I my first show actually ever was Imagine Dragons in San Diego, and honestly, it's like as much shit as they give as people give them, they're actually a freaking pretty solid band, especially when they're live. Mm. You don't like it? No. No, I saw them live. Uh, I think it was probably on... I think it was actually on my 16th birthday. Really? So I took Griffin and then this this girl, and we went, and it was like... They were so hyped. Like, all I heard was how cool the live show was. And then it was like... Uh, it was like a bunch of 12 year olds running around i was like nine years nine years old when i saw okay the there you like go my yeah my memory is a little bit fogged i think it was just geared towards like kids yeah my the magic dragons was the first band i like i remember like actually like giving a fuck about and not just like oh my dad's playing music I'm i do like it. a lot of their songs like no disrespect to them i just didn't enjoy the live show yeah i mean you can't you can't really hit everything their first album their first two albums um night visions and then uh, yeah Smoke and Mirrors. Those mm-hmm. are two phenomenal albums. Like, I, everything is like right about them in my opinion. Then they kind of like went down like the poppy route. It didn't really work in my opinion. I didn't really like that. Right. But their last album that they came out with, I forget the name of it, but it's like that red background. Okay. It has uh, it has sharks on it, and there's a couple of songs on there that's like that's in a couple like movies and stuff. That is an amazing album that kind of was a bounce back, because there's this uh this amazing producer called uh, Rick Rubin. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's done a bunch of stuff like with Red Hot Chili Peppers, a bunch of like big names he's produced. And so he produced that album by Imagine Dragons. You could really tell it like really made a difference. And like more rocky. It was honestly a bit more rocky. Like they had their poppy stuff that like it's kind of aimed towards the radio friendly, like they, they want to get their exposure out. But they... The backs of the album, there is some really good stuff in there. So that, that's kind of been weird about Imagine Dragons, where it's like, I kind of get why bands make like the one or two poppy albums to get the word out, mm-hmm. but if you don't go back, it's kind of like a, it's hard because once you like, once you make those poppy albums and like everyone likes them, and then the studio is like, oh, well, we'll give you a lot more money, or the, excuse me, the label. Yeah. It's like, oh, we'll give you a lot more money to like, keep on making these songs, and then you kind of like fold for the bags, for like, the money. It's tough. Yeah, musicianship is weird, because it's like when, you're, when you haven't made it yet, you have a lot more fuel than once you're sitting on millions. Yeah. It goes, yeah, it goes to show you, like, some of the bands, some bands will just like make a lot of money, and they kind of just get, give up. Like, once they yeah. get the money, they'll kind of just, just give up. 21 Pilots kind of did that, whereas, like, Vessel was lyrically probably, like, my oh, favorite yeah. album ever. Oh, yeah. And then Blurry Face came out, and I was like, okay, I get it. Like, it's time to, to get big. Yeah. And then Trench came out, and it was like, kind of wish you would start to go back, because you've <laughs> already made it. And then, fuck, I don't even know what the, the scaly, lap. hot, icy, yeah. whatever. Dude, it was so garbage. There was a couple, there's a couple songs, there's two songs, uh, The Outside. That's a really good song. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's yeah. a really good song off the album. But other than that, I listened to the whole thing and it was, it was really not that impressive. Yeah, it's like... But I think that's part of it where it's... When they came out with Vessel, it was like they were like broke and depressed and like contemplating. And that makes that makes amazing lyricism and amazing right. musician. Like, 
But then no one, like not a lot of people listened to it until Blurry Face came out. And then they were like, oh, I wonder what their earlier stuff was like. But yeah. then they were kind of, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird balance to find when you're actually in your prime as a musician. Yeah, definitely. Do you think there's a future for you guys to record an album soon? I hope so. It's expensive. And so we're kind of just trying to save up our money. Yeah. Trying to just get exposure. Doesn't help when you break shit in your rehearsal, that Gavin. Does not help either. <laughs> I'm not, I don't try, dude. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go waste 50 bucks and break my drum. Like, it's, it's tough. Like, because there's so much adversity you got to face, and you're kind of like by yourself. Like, it's not like, like, hey, dad, can I have this money to go, like, record drums? Because that just doesn't work. So you got to, like, put your own money into it. You got to save your own money. And then you got to also worry about playing shows because you don't want people to forget about you. You also got to keep up on the Instagram. So make sure you can keep on getting followers. It's just, there's so many things you have to, like, keep on doing at the same time. It's tough but. just wait till i pet wait till i tag you in the podcast post you'll get like one or two more followers <laughs> hey man, every follower counts. Every that's what follower i was saying counts. dude like my mom texted me the other day and she's like so i had her print she's a teacher yeah and i had her the principal of her school on because he's getting like this fancy job with the state oh that's cool and I had him on and she was like she texted me the other day and she's like he actually listens to like every episode you put out I was like, that's so cool. Does it's it ever really shock cool. you that people like actually care? It does. Yeah, this I think earlier this week I posted something once. Did you know the uh, do you follow the Sig App store on yeah. Instagram? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did, they did that giveaway. Yeah. So we posted on, I posted on my story and then I happened to just stumble across who liked my story and then some verified like guitarist for this touring band liked my story. He does he doesn't follow me. But, like, it's just crazy to think because the tour, he's from, like, for some country artist that has, like, 4.2 million followers on Instagram. He's the touring guitarist for her. And so it's just crazy to think that, like, like once you get to a certain point and then all the important people that are up above will start listening to you and start, like, kind of caring about you. All I got to do is get to that certain point. That's actually crazy because you, you would think of musicians like that as better than you. And the fact that they care about you is kind of interesting. Yeah, because, I don't know, it's hard to think in the aspect of, like, oh, he's bigger than me, so he's better, like, he's a better musician than me. Because that's not how, that's not how it works. I, I don't know if it's just the music industry or every industry. If it was strictly the best musicians are the biggest musicians, then the world would look so differently. Yeah. But it's all about marketing now and, like, which female artist has the freaking biggest tits or whatever and like is able to like fucking make their butt look the biggest like that's how it works yeah and it's all about your aesthetic now and like yeah your music helps with that but it's so much about how you market and how you post and how you attract other people to you do you think this is going to get a little conspiracy theory-esque but do you think there's musicians that record labels choose to make big like do you think they can kind of pick and choose I don't know. I don't know how to phrase it. I guess maybe an example. I feel like there's a lot of rappers out there better than Drake, but for some reason he's like chosen to be this messiah. I I think so. I would guess. One of I think an example of that would be I'd say Olivia Rodrigo. Cause she her music her music's good, but in my opinion it's like really like there's a lot of smaller musicians that 
could take her spot musically. Mm-hmm. But like she's she's just this like pretty girl who can freaking like post on Instagram, post on TikTok, and then people will follow her. And the record label's like, oh, you get me more money, so I'm strictly gonna p- pick you over that. Yeah, it's the same thing with it's the thing. Pretty much, TikTok has changed the whole way of how the music industry works and how people are chosen to like buy the record labels and all that. It's crazy. How so? So, and a, a personal example I have of this is, you know Steven Sanchez? No. He's this, like, indie, I want to say indie, like, acoustic indie artist that went to my high school. He is, hu- he is huge now, though, but he went to my high school, and he's a year older than me, and he, when COVID happened, he, like, posted this song on TikTok, and he was like, yo, like, this is my song called Lady by the Sea, and he, like, played it, and it got, like, six, seven million likes on TikTok, like, 15 million plays. And this music producer who lived in New York and said, like, yo, like, I love this. Let me fly you out to New York. All expenses paid for. I'll record it for you. He records it. Song blows up. He moves to Nashville. Now he's signed by a record label and he's on tour right now. That's crazy. He's, and he's, he's a phenomenal musician and he's a good, did you take a picture of me? Yeah, I did. <laughs> for the gram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steven Sanchez, he's an amazing musician and he's like very talented, but he wasn't he wasn't gonna get that opportunity unless it was for TikTok. So mm. the way that technology and social media has moved, I would say benefit like beneficial for the music industry is crazy and how you can use it to your advantage. Do you think it's kind of taken away from part of the musicianship? Like it's more about how you look and your marketing skills than actually being a good musician? I would say so, but I would say so to an extent, but once you get to that point, like if you watch, if you go and watch Steven Sanchez live, like he, he's like born for it. Like he's got, he's got the pretty face that like everyone wants, everyone like wants to go see live and he's able to have that showmanship that like Randy has, for example, like he has that on stage also having a good example. So you can use, you can use the social media aspect to your advantage and kind of get you to a certain point, but it'll, you'll kind of reach a, a ceiling where you have to be a good musician to like, to get past that and kind of oh, get to the full mark. To get to the same gender as you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is kind of been crazy though about how like this, not random, but like these people that don't have any unique talents have gotten so popular and gotten so much money just because they look good or they'll, they'll oh like like freaking them. like the Emilio's or something like Livy Dunn. <laughs> like, she's hot as fuck. So like yeah, kind of like she's hot as fuck. So it's kind of hard. To I, mean, I mean, she's probably a good gymnast, but it was like apparently she's not. Apparently she's like pretty mid. Really? Yeah. One of my one of one of my good friends' girlfriends is like. Um, is like a manager, or like a team manager for Oregon State's like gymnastic uh, gymnastics team. It's like in the in the championships, they went and saw like LSU, and apparently like like she's kind of like shit at gymnastics, but she's on the team because of like the the marketing. Oh, uh, that's what I heard. But I mean, I don't know. I don't watch. She was gym, just on gymnastics. Sports Illustrated. Well, yeah, that because... that caught a lot of flack because for a while, Sports Illustrated tried like the Bozzy pop. Body positivity route. Then they just was like, ah, fuck that. We're just gonna go live. Yeah, Livy done. <laughs> <laughs> but people ate it up. Yeah, freaking. I mean, everyone does. I mean, like, how yeah. do you how do you look at Livy done and be like, eh, I'll pass. Yeah, I'm not gonna follow that. 
Like, yeah, no way. No way. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, how much of that do you think has affected kind of the music industry as far as, like, do you think it, do you think it kind of subtracts away from mm, maybe people's status just as a musical artist? I think that, I mean, going back to like, to like the Beatles era, like they made good, they made amazing music, but also they were these like pretty 20 something year olds that all the girls would like. Yeah. So you go through every, um, every kind of genre of music and it's the same thing, like leading up to today, you need to be able to play music, but you also need to be able to like show yourself and be presentable because you, you'll go see like this guy at a bar, like playing, just like just playing the bar night, maybe getting 50, a hundred bucks. And he's a freaking amazing musician, but you won't see him anywhere more than that because he either has stage fright, can't take can't take care of himself, and doesn't know how to communicate, how to get out of there. So there's it's more than just playing music. You got to be able to present yourself. You got to have. You honestly got to be born with it, like born with the pretty face to kind of be able to get out of there. There's not a lot of BB Kings anymore. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's true. Did you see? Um... The Elvis movie? I did, yeah. It was really weird to me that B.B. King in the movie was, like, in shape and thin and attractive. I think that was because it was way younger. Because he was way younger. I could be oh. speaking wrong, but at the same time, that was kind of Hollywood. Yeah. Wanting to kind of, like, Hollywood it up. It so. was, I don't know, it just kind of threw me off for, like, that, that whole section in the movie where yeah. Elvis is hanging out in, like, the black neighborhood or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood always wants to make everyone like the most attractive because it because then it like brings in the most people. But I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. I haven't watched it in a while. It was really good. I just watched it like a couple months ago with uh, Seppa and Orth. Yeah, I remember. I remember thinking it was like a really good music movie. But you got a favorite music movie? Whiplash by far. Whiplash, really? Yeah. I just had to watch that. Uh, fall semester last year for uh-huh. this coaching class that I took. It was actually pretty good. Oh, dude, it is the best. It, like, actively portrays, like, what musicians go through in music school, like, so well. It is so realistic. It yeah. It does such a good way, such a good job of portraying that. I, yeah, I liked it, too. But like, I don't know. I don't know. How do you know what musicians go through in a school like that? Because when I did... It's a little bit different from what I went through because I didn't go to like to like music school for drum set, but I mean I had a marching instructor in high school that would um, that would instruct the drum line, and he from the beginning you knew he wanted the best for you and he wanted the best for the drum line, but his way of of getting you there was kind of like tough love, and obviously it wasn't to the extent of what like what happened in Whiplash. Maybe but, we should start, maybe describe the movie for people that haven't watched it. Yeah, so basically Whiplash is this phenomenal drummer who wants to be, like, the best, like, jazz drummer in the world. And then he goes to basically what's the equivalent of Juilliard, like, the best music school in the world. And he gets met by this music teacher who pushes you to your, like, very max. And, like, the way of getting you there is, like, what some would say is extreme and like too far. And so it's really, it's a dark, it's kind of a dark movie, but it's really good. So yeah. Whoever's listening, 
Go check go, it go out. Go check out Watch Time Movie. That's my favorite movie. And it's like I think it's like the top twenty IMDb movies of all time, right? Really? I don't know. It's but... in the top. It's in the top something. I remember scrolling through this and seeing it, but that's crazy. Yeah. So your high school drumline teacher. Yeah, he kind of he kind of went through that. You kind of he'll like he'll yell at you and he'll give you shit. Obviously, it's not it's not as extreme at all as what like what the movie goes through. But I mean, you kind of see what the movie was trying to portray. And, Just know, the pressure and everything. The pressure of trying to be good and trying to be better, being met by this like person you're trying to impress and trying to like like make happy. It's it's like a struggle. But I mean, you kind of get addicted to it. Yeah. I'm someone that, I don't know, I'm really hard on myself, and I put a lot of pressure on myself. Do you feel like you ever struggle with kind of the battle of how hard you should be on yourself? Yeah. I I think, like, making for self, like, looking in self-improvement and looking at, um, looking at yourself and critiquing yourself is important, but you gotta, you got to realize at some point, like, I struggle with this, too, you got to realize, like, no one realizes what you realize. Like, yeah, every live show that I've ever played, I'll go back and listen and be like, oh, fuck, I fucked that up. Oh, shit, I did that wrong. Oh, my God, everyone's going to think I'm a horrible drummer. But then everyone I talk to, it's like, dude, that was an amazing show. You did good. You guys did so good. I'm thinking to myself, it's like, oh, yeah, like, glad. But I'm, I'll say, like, yo, like, thanks. Like, thanks for coming. Like, it was a amazing show. But I'll think to myself, like, how did they not hear that? But you got to think, like, they're not playing what I'm playing and they're not hearing what I'm hearing. Yeah, like, because Darian was at the show last night. Darian's a drummer too. And there'll be some things that he'll hear and be like, yeah, that was an amazing show, but like, you know, I heard when you messed up there. Mm. And so there's a couple people that'll know because they're drummers too, but there's a lot of things that even Darian won't hear because I'm the one playing it. So if I was going to go see Darian play a show, see him play drums, he'll probably think, oh, I fucked up here, I'll fucked up here. And I'll be like, no, you didn't fuck up at all. You just did amazing. Mm-hmm. but there's but self self critiquing I'd say is important but you gotta realize like you just gotta take it easy on yourself makes sense that's what your brother's at the show for right yeah pretty much <laughs> brothers will keep it real pretty much yeah yeah it was a good time man you'll have to let me know when the next show is June 12th the, some skating rink um, Ice World is it here in Boise? I think so. I want. I think so. Might be. Might be farther out. I'm not sure. I'll throw it up on the podcast page when I go. Hell yeah! It'll, it'll be on the Instagram soon. That's our yeah. next show, so we'll start promoting it. Okay, I'll repost it. I got you. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Another 15 people will see it. Hey man, better than that's better than no people. That's true. That's true. What do you think the next step for you guys as a band is? Where do you go from here? Just keep on been doing what we're doing. Just keep on playing shows. Keep on writing more music. The faster we can get into the studio, the faster we can get our music out there. And it's more of, hey, go check out our song on Spotify, rather than, hey, wait till this day to go see us play. Do you so, ever post videos from the concerts on YouTube? Not really, because it's hard to get the quality of it. There's been there's one show we played. Um, about a month and a half ago um, at this this local music rehearsal spot called The Hive. And they they had it, like, professionally, like, recorded and, like, mixed. And then, so if you go watch that, 
you could see us play there. But I mean, if I, if someone was going to record the whole show on an iPhone, like the microphone just isn't good enough, right? And it's not mixed well, so they're really it'd really be burdening burdening us if we were going to post that. But I wanted to at times. Yeah, that makes sense. You're you're. Um... Dude, I'm so bad at na- Randy. Yeah. He he actually really reminded me of... Do you know who Nothing But Thieves is? Yeah, I love that band. I saw them live at... Uh, it was like the second show at this new concert venue in St. Louis. Uh, it was at Del Mar, right across from the pageant. I can't remember what it was called. But that guy has such like a powerful, clear voice live. And oh, Randy yeah. actually sounds a lot like that guy. Now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of agree with you. I never really put two and two together, but yeah. That was like my first thought, like your first song live last night. I was like, this, he, like that powerful, clear. Yeah. You know, you're, you're right. I never, I never put two and two together, but now that I'm thinking of the songs that I listened to by Nothing By Thieves, comparing that to the Randy songs. That was a cool show, man. Nothing But Thieves killed it. Yeah. I wish I could see them live. They were... The they actually had an opener that did some weird stuff like really yeah like this dude like he had to bring his <laughs> I I I'm like ninety percent sure I'm not making this up but I swear I remember the opening band put the singer put like the whole microphone in his mouth or some weird <laughs> like it was like he had to bring his own mic or something. That's crazy. But whatever you got to do to stand out, right? That's exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like here I am. Him, but eight years later, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess respect to him, but I mean, everyone's got a gimmick. Yeah, but nothing but these was really good. That's the that was like the connection that I immediately drew was man, this guy kind of sounds like I don't actually know the singer's name from Nothing But These. Yeah, but I can I could see how you got there. I kind of agree with you there. <laughs> I think that's pretty much all I've got. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go move my futon in my room and then go to bed. <laughs> that thing's actually kind of sick, though. Dude, I'm way better than an air mattress. That's for goddamn sure. This is the grind. Sleeping on, sleeping on an air mattress, playing some shows, go to work at the restaurant. Dude, you get Chipotle, free burritos. It's gonna come in so clutch. You get free burritos there. I do. That's kind of that's actually pretty sick. Yeah. If you ever get sick of them and feel like bringing oh, me dude. one back. If my manager's not working, I'll bring you a Sefa's up. Let's go. <laughs> dude, Sefa's at a restaurant now, too. Which gonna, one? It's called Eureka. Oh, I think. Yeah, it's downtown. Yeah, it is downtown. That's super cool. I don't think I've actually been there. I've never been there either, but I mean, it's like right in the middle of that like, strip with like all the all the restaurants. So oh, on cool. 8th? Yeah. That's really cool that Boise does that. Yeah, it's a super cool, super cool town. It's like one of the main things that... Outside of the university, it's like a really good, it's a really big influencer of why I came here because it's like Sacramento is a huge city and so like it has some like bad parts with like the homelessness and all that. Right. But Midtown Sacramento, like where the new Golden One Center is, where the Kings play, mm. that whole area is so sick. And like when I came to visit here, it was so similar. Like even my brother pointed out too, and he's like, because he works in downtown Sacramento. And we're like, we went to downtown Boise. Off of eighth, and he's like, "Damn, this is like this is like Midtown Sacramento." And I'm like, "Yeah, welcome to Boise. That's why I, that's why I came here." That's really cool. Yeah, my the rest of my family is moving back to St. Louis like at the end of the summer, like early August. Oh, really? And everyone keeps asking me, they're like, "Are you gonna go back?" I'm like, 
fuck no, dude. dude. It's so I, nice here. It's like I love 80s. it out here. It's I like love it. Out, yeah. Oh my god. I love it out here, man. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You got I, it. Go ahead. I don't even know what I was going to say. Oh, I was just going to ask if you needed to shout anybody out or anything on the podcast. Okay, shout out to you and everything that's going on with the podcast. Oh, thanks, Again, man. This is sick. Happy being on here. Um, freaking shout out to shout out to the band for going, doing what we're doing. Shout yourselves out. Where can everybody find you? What's your social media name and all that? We got we got on ourselves on Instagram right now at Leeway Official. We spell Leeway L E A W A Y and then official. So go follow us. Every follower counts, like we've been talking about. Uh, we got some shows coming up June twelfth at a roller rink somewhere in the Treasure Valley that I can't remember off the top of my head, but that'll definitely be <laughs> on the Instagram soon. And then June twenty third at Treefort Music Hall. It's gonna be a huge show for us. Oh, nice! The new music venue. Well, we're opening up for Raccoon Tours farewell show. They're another. They're another band in the music scene. They're moving to New Jersey. Are they cover for the actual Raccoon Tours? No, it's called Raccoon Tour. Yeah, I just thought maybe that was like a play, like they cover. I never, I never, I never thought about that, but honestly, that's kind of funny. I just kind, of, yeah, I kind of just assumed that they were like a Raconteurs cover band. Yeah, and honestly, fun fact: Randy is the drummer for Raccoon Tour. Oh yeah, you were saying that last night. Yeah, so we're gonna open up for them. There's like, there's like a huge, amazing lineup that night. So June twelfth at a roller rink somewhere in the Treasure Valley, and then June twenty third at Treefort Music Hall. You can follow us on Instagram, Leeway Official. And yeah. It's awesome. I'll finally shout myself out too, because I've been meaning to do this for like four podcasts. But <laughs> QW Podcast is on Instagram, Twitter, kind of Facebook. My Facebook for the podcast is just my personal Facebook because no one actually uses Facebook. It's, oh, so you're like old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we're actually finally on TikTok as well. I don't like TikTok, so I've been trying to hold out, but. You got to market, right? Yeah, everyone uses TikTok, man. I, I don't even have TikTok, but we got to make one soon. Yeah, you do. You actually get crazy. Like, I get so many more plays on TikTok than YouTube shorts. Yeah, their algorithm is just crazy. Yeah, so definitely hook that up. But go follow QW Podcast, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Gavin, for coming out. No problem.